where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Where Nobody Knows Your Name. And I'm joined by James. Hello. Tasty two-parter this week. Hello, James. Thank you. Finally. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, very, very good. I thought we'd, we'd been waiting for it for a while, but no, you've just given me the title of the episode. Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> we have been waiting a little while. I cancelled on James uh, a few days ago um, <laughs> due to uh, child rearing responsibilities. So now we're back. Back on a, a Sunday morning, I've woken James up and uh, we're ready to go. Yes. It's the 15th episode of season eight, aired on 25th of January, 1990. It was directed by James Burroughs and written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs. So very classic trio here working on this episode. They've been involved since the early seasons, these three. So it yes. should be good. Yeah, and I have to say, I did really enjoy this two-parter, of which we'll discuss part one today. Best way to start is the cold open. Yeah, this one, uh, the cold open doesn't really have any bearing on anything. It's a uh, a nice little joke from Norm. Frasier walks into the bar showing baby photos, or trying to show baby photos to the other bar members who aren't really interested. Because no. um, I've got a baby. Um, I think he's adorable, but... Babies do look fairly similar in general, uh, apart from mine, obviously, which is a, a step above most babies. <laughs> I don't have a, a, a child, so it's very much the two two opposing things where whenever baby pictures are shown, I go, that is indeed a baby. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is not the response they're looking for, but I don't know what else to uh, to tell them. Well, you're not you're not wrong, James. I think you've you've validated them showing you an image by agreeing with them that it is the image of the thing they think it is. Yep, I am like one of those tests you have to do to prove you're uh, not a computer. Please, I, <laughs> please identify all the images with babies. That's a baby. You've you've completed life's capture. Yeah, exactly. Well, so you would be ideal in this bar, just like the other patrons. They're not really interested, but they. Once they do have a look, they also destroy Frasier's pride by saying, actually, the baby looks like Lilith. Yep. Which in the past, they've made a lot of jokes about Lilith's appearance because of how pale and uh, thin she is. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. you don't want your baby to be thin. No. I don't think they have much opportunity for a suntan uh, before yeah. appearing in the world. So pale, at least, is is not too much of an insult to a baby. Hey, the kid looks like his mom, Fresh. Yeah, I do too. And I mean that. It's not just a shot. I suppose that's only fair. I mean, after all, she did carry Frederick for nine months. I mean, what'll I do? Yeah, my household, the hard part. <laughs> Classic Norm. Classic Norm. It's an excellent joke. These these sort of characters are common in a lot of sitcoms. The sort of... Uh, Ball and chain type joke. Yeah. But it's so overt with Norm, which is kind of what makes it funny. But you just can't imagine what that relationship is like. He does genuinely love her. Like, at no point has, do any of his jokes have a... Even this one, the, the, there's not a disdain for her as a person. They're usually just physical-based jokes, mm. which doesn't necessarily have anything to do with love. That sounded harsh, but basically what I mean is physical attraction and romantic attraction needn't be the same thing. Yeah. And and a lot of his jokes are, are simply 
a self-awareness of his that his real home is the bar rather yeah, than at home. That's it. That's it. Coming to Norm's defence here, going, he's okay. He's fine. <laughs> yeah. He's very faithful to Cheers. <laughs> we hear from Rebecca that Robin is back in town. Yes. Our episode actually starts with a something that doesn't go anywhere, but maybe is a useful comparison later on in, in this two-parter, which is Sam doing his usual lady management, shall we say. Oh, yes. Yeah, the scheduling. Yeah. So a, a very attractive blonde woman comes into the bar and Sam is uh, trying to fit her into his schedule, even though he's yet to talk to her. And we'll explain why that maybe has comparisons later on. But yes, as you say, James, Robin is back in town. Robin is back in town. <laughs> and um, Rebecca and Robin are due to go to a testimonial dinner for a uh, Red Sox yes. player. Yeah. Uh, yes, Carl Yastrinsky. Yes. And she's excited because she thinks this is it. This is the event. This is where they'll finally consummate and everything will be wonderful and their lives together begin. Yeah. Well, I don't, yeah. I think she imagined post dinner. I don't imagine <laughs> mid course, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a different sort of dinner party. Yeah. It's a thousand dollars a plate though. So. Well, the two are much the similar value at the moment. And this is where it was interesting because Robin, I assume, is invited because he's a business tycoon type, right? Mm. You know, if he, if he shows up, pays a lot of money, fund whatever, and they know he's going to spend a lot, fine. He invites Sam because he doesn't understand or speak baseball, and Sam does, so he needs a translator and a tutor. Do you find that odd? I find it odd solely because Robin and Sam have had an animosity up to this point. Mm. So I found it odd. I don't necessarily find it odd that Robin invited Sam. Robin's an opportunist and a swindler. But I find it odd that Sam so readily agreed. Well, he was offered $1,000. True. So, uh, you know, every man has a price. Yeah, and I think I think in this, a lot of Robin's offers to Sam have traditionally been in, in the way of bribery or, or attempted blackmail, whereas this one is simply take it and do what you're good at. And I think Sam therefore jumps at it. But yes, uh, so Sam finds himself going to this $1,000 a plate uh, testimonial dinner. And I will say, James, if you had to pay an extraordinary amount for a, a dinner like that, what would you expect on your plate? I was going to say a specific phrase we have uh, have here in, in the UK, and this is a PG podcast. So I won't <laughs> use that exact phrase. I'll go for the PG version, a boatload. So fish. Or a boatload, basically a... I'm, I'm happier with boatload. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think uh, you'd be overpaying if you uh, got a buttload uh, on your plate. <laughs> a rump steak, anyone? Mm. <laughs> I basically, I would, if it's a thousand dollars a plate, I would expect something filling, not necessarily a lot, but you know, like a steak, right? I'd expect, mm. I'd expect something which had some substance to it, not. $1,000 a plate, what have you got? Hey, you've got a slice of salmon on a tartlet. Thanks. You know, just... But the, the, I suppose the question is, is for $1,000, are you paying for effort on the part of the chef or are you paying for something hearty and of good quality? Well, I assume, I don't, I'm not a restaurateur, 
but I assume that the price point for any meal is a combination of cost of ingredients and the cost to produce it, so labour costs. Or more accurately, if there's different dishes across the menu, they price them accordingly based on how many people they think will have certain dishes and therefore distributing the cost between. If it's only one dish, if it's only this $1,000 plate, then maybe you have a point in that if that's the only dish they're making and they've hired these chefs to cater for however many people, but only making that one dish, maybe that explains why it's more expensive. Well, and also it's, uh, this is all getting very dull, but the, the <laughs> we're factoring in that this is a testimonial dinner and probably a money-raising dinner. Yes. So I imagine they factored that in as well. I, I think for that sort of price, you'd want something like, I don't know, bald eagle shavings on a white rhino steak or something equally decadent and... Gold leaf type deal. Yeah, yeah. You can eat gold. You can't eat a lot of gold. <laughs> it's no. the old is it the old Terry Pratchett quote where every mushroom is edible, some of them are only edible once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very good quote. But we've digressed and started talking about predictably food. So <laughs> as happens, they're in the limo. All three of them. Yeah, yeah Sam is He's on the side, luckily, uh, given what occurs very shortly. But Robin and Sam have kept talking baseball, and Robin seems to have learned some things, which is good, but he's not learned the important things, has he? Like how to pay attention to to a date. Uh, yeah, and, and actually, given that that's probably one of Sam's uh, areas of expertise, yeah, uh, he could have consulted him on that. I think it was an elaborate ploy all along. Oh, uh, um, well, it works. Rebecca, being ignored, uh, becomes quite annoyed which leads to a intense moment uh, between Rebecca and Robin, while Sam is still very much in a vicinity. Well, they have an argument, uh, and then there's an awkward silence as Sam leans forward to, to pour some champagne for the two of them in order to break the silence, really. Hey, you know what we need here? We need a little champagne. <clears throat> All right. Oh, I tell you, Robin, baseball is the greatest game. The only problem I see is it's in the pension system. I mean, where is the security for a marginal player? Oh, hey, this is very nice champagne. Yeah, nice and bubbly. Not like the kind of stuff we used to pour over Yaz's head after he hit a game-winning tater. Oh, my God. Oh, Sam, you're still here. But as he's leaning forward, and it's a great shot, just compositionally. Mm. As he's leaning forward, pouring the glasses, you see them... Cop off. Yeah, I was going to say going at it, but let's yes, <laughs> lose, let's use that one. Yes. I like the way we both picked very crude uh, <laughs> teenagery terms. Fornicating? Oh, that's worse. Yeah, that's a bit worse. That's more suggestive, more yeah. grimy somehow. Yeah. Now, I was going to say engage each other intimately. That's worse. Um. <laughs> I, th- I think essentially they just look at each other a bit angrily yeah. and then fall in for a uh, a good uh, slug wrestle. <laughs> I have not heard that one before. <laughs> Off they go and then Sam comes back and uh, Sam <laughs> puts this on himself. He says, oh, I uh, kind of uh, regret being here. And Robin goes, yep, out you go. Deposited into a rough neighbourhood on his own um, late at night. 
it looks like it could be the shipyard. Because mm. um, there's a lot of, if I remember correctly, there's a lot of shipping containers nearby. Yeah, and there's an odd scene here. And I think I know what they were trying to suggest, but they didn't quite do it. So Sam is left alone, wonders out loud whether anything will happen between Robin and Rebecca as a train goes past. And then he stares at the train. Now, I, I think in my head, it, it almost should have been a train going into a tunnel. And that was their sort of way of putting that in Sam's head. And then he turns around and shakes his head and walks off. But there is no tunnel. It's just darkness. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's a, it's, you've watched Naked Gun. Yes. Where they circumvented the, the certificate by showing clips of other things. <laughs> yes, things entering things. Yeah. Of which a train into a tunnel is is one of them. Yes, exactly. Uh, but this one, the train just goes into the night, which, you know, uh, I don't know what they're suggesting about Rebecca in that sense. Perhaps something that she has desired for a long time comes at a greater cost. And that's the darkness of, of night. Hmm? Yeah. So, yeah, very, very odd scene, but it is just essentially a segue to probably an ad break. We mm. go back to the bar. So it, it cuts to the next day. And everyone's speculating. And then Rebecca comes in. Looking almost smug and business angelic is the only way I can describe her. Get up. Mm. Full white suit. Very smiley. Very smiley she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's uh, certainly looking smug. And it becomes very obvious that it happened. Yeah. And the bar cheers, which is, you know, very in line with the way the bar reacts to anything, really. There's a nice little sequence here where they had a pool going. Hmm. As to, uh, they were betting what date or what month Rebecca and Robin would consummate their relationship. And I'll tell you, they were way off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They thought this would run on for quite a lot longer. Yeah, closest was August 92, which is over two and a half years after this episode. (laughs) Which tells you something about their... Rebecca's given herself an air of chasticity. Yeah, that's a good word. If it is a word. Well, it is now, James. We put it into mm. the, the records. The state of having chastity. Mm. They were not expecting this to happen this quickly. I think there's also an element of Robin being such a otherworldly character that maybe that they thought this would never happen as well. Yeah, they thought you'd get bored and leave. Mm. Um, here's a fun fact. They also uh, have a pool as to what Rebecca's uh, assessment or summary of it would be, <laughs> which is uh, the phrase "very good." And a few people, a few people in the bar, uh, guessed that phrase. Norm was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cliff's mum was one of them, <laughs> <laughs> and also Ken and David, who are the names of the writers of this episode. Ah, yeah. Well, of course, they guessed it. Yeah, of course, they got it right. They wrote it. Mm. Yeah. That's quite a nice in-joke. Another one is Sam says, I never thought I'd see the day. First the Berlin Wall and now this, which is interesting because it implies how soon before airing the episodes are recorded because the Berlin Wall fell not long before this episode aired. Ah, It also probably says something about the pacing of the writing. Uh, a lot of comedy writers say that they are absolutely up against it when it comes to timelines. 9th of November, 89. 
so only, and I'm guessing over over Christmas and Thanksgiving they weren't uh, weren't filming. So yeah, really only a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. very topical for the audience. Yeah, uh, Rebecca does explain in not great detail what happened. Um, or at least what led to the event. So Robin took her to, and this surprised me, but maybe makes more sense later, but took Rebecca to a greasy little um Greasy spoon bar. is what we call them here, don't we? Yeah. Um, something that, uh, to give it context, is a place that Norm adores. He's going to get buried there, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and also um, she told him that her favourite song was You've Lost That Loving Feeling by the Righteous oh, Brothers. Yes. And his response was to make his the radio station that he owned play it on repeat all night, which to me means it would lose a little bit of its magic. But I see, I see why he made the gesture. This is why these days we have like Spotify accounts or whatever. Mm. Um, so you can just put a song on loop and you don't have to bother other people with the same song. So he was time. pioneering. Well, no, because he, he forced it on other people. Um, <laughs> So he was the teenager with their their phone on loud walking through the town centre. He was John Cusack in Say Anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also there's an element of, you know, when parents would find their teenager smoking and in order to punish them, they would make them smoke 100 cigarettes at once. Yes. Yeah, there's an element of that here. I'm, if things hadn't gone right, I think Rebecca would have hated this song forever after that. Yeah. Actually, there's a funny bit about that because like, who should walk into the bar? But Bill Medley. <laughs> yes. Uh, from the Righteous Brothers themselves. Yep. And I can't do that song justice, no matter how hard I try. But in he walks and goes, oh, it's Bill Medley. What? And th- then he starts singing. Can I help you? Uh, yeah. Rebecca How? Hey. Uh, Rebecca, this is from Robin Colcord. You never close your eyes. <laughs> I love how he just tells Rebecca to shut up. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca is so excited that she's shouting over this uh, this gift of a, a song. We we now move to the next day. So that uh, Bill Medley interlude is over quite quickly, but he may reappear. Rebecca comes back into the bar and again, she's absolutely love-struck because Robin has told her he loves her. Those famous three words. Well, not he loves her. I love you is the phrase that she heard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca, I have something to tell you. What? He loves her. Who? What? (laughs) Which uh, prompts another sweepstake winning for Cliff. And the closest phrase is, I'll respect you in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Which Uh, I had mixed feelings about this because it does say a lot for uh, the, the bar's feelings towards both Rebecca and Robin. Yeah. But they obviously have no faith in... Uh, the outcome of this is a... And, and maybe they shouldn't. No. Well, mm, well there's well. some prescient words, James. Yeah. Bring in the prescient words this morning. Silver plattered prescience. A thousand yes. dollars a plate. Yep. Nom, 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 nom. 
words. <laughs> As a, a celebration of this declaration, Rebecca tries to take everyone to the greasy spoon that uh, she was taking to a few nights before. Norm's all for it, of course he is. Of course, and a few of the, the obvious usual suspects. But Sam, Sam's in a mood. He's sceptical, is what it is. And disappointed as well um, yes. that Rebecca has essentially, in his mind, shunned him in favour of another man. And doesn't he compare her to like a jar of peanut butter or something? Yeah, he. It, it, it's actually quite a sweet exchange, except the one line where Sam says, do me a favour and sleep with me, which is a bit uh, over the top, really. But uh, true to form, I suppose. Well, you can't have him being too sentimental now. Yeah. So what happens next, James? Well, they go to this, I don't want to call it a restaurant, a diner to celebrate. And they all kind of going home, taking the cabs back home. Sam and Rebecca standing outside. Rebecca has uh, some grease or mustard or something on her blouse. <laughs> the way you say blouse, James. Blouse. I'm sure that's uh, said to a woman. I'm sure that would absolutely rock any woman's world. It's I, I pronounce it with an umlaut. <laughs> B-L- umlaut today, U-S. That's <laughs> very much um, Rick Mail in bottom. That's one of his standard lines to a lady, isn't it? You, you have a lovely blouse. <laughs> the, uh, dirty blouse she has. I don't like the way I phrase that. It's accurate, James. I'm not going to read anything else into it. So she has to go back into the diner to, to get rid of uh, the stain on, on her blouse there. She goes in. Sam gets a newspaper out of one of those little newspaper kiosk things. And who shows up? In very convenient timing, I should add. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, box up limo is Robin with another woman. <sighs> oh. And he's got no shame, that English boy. He, no. He, he greets Sam and he's like, all right, Sam, it's me again. This ain't Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite brazen. I mean, especially as he he's already passed him. He yes. could have got away with it. but He goes uh, back and is like, hey, hey Sam, just... Just want to show you uh, the infidelity that I'm currently committing. Yeah. Oh, he's, a, he's a smug one. Isn't he just? He's going in. Rebecca is about to come out. Cue cliffhanger as Sam is waving frantically, trying to capture attention as Robin and New Squeeze are entering the, uh, the greasy spoon. Well, that's a nice phrase, isn't it? New squeeze entering the greasy spoon. Mm, that seems something sort of... I think that's what it said on the stage direction, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Dun, dun, dun. It is. And we've now that we've talked about all the cast, we delayed talking about the cast because, you know, of this twist at the end. But I figure we should read them all out. That is this section of the podcast, James, and you know I enjoy it thoroughly. We got to this bit. This is Barry's favourite part because he gets to sit back as I... Just read out words for a couple of minutes. Yeah, I, I feel it's some sort of factual serenading. I, I really enjoy it. I find it quite relaxing. That's exactly how I serenade people. Yeah, I, <laughs> I whip out a harmonica, give a little toot, and then splash in a fact. Lovely. Yeah. You're a spoken word Bob Dylan. Yes. A cross between Bob Dylan and a compendium. Roger <laughs> 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 Reese as Robin Colcord. Bill Medley as Bill Medley. This is one of his few acting credits, I'll have you know. His most recent being as the Time of My Life vocalist in Holiday. He is a multiple Grammy winner 
and one half of The Righteous Brothers. His other soundtrack credits include Shindig, Bandstand, Top Gun, Cobra, Dirty Dancing, Rambo 3, Major League, The Last Boy Scout, The Office, Harry Met Your Mother, Psych, Funny People, Scrubs, Gossip Girl, Crazy Stupid Love, New Girl, The Muppets, Miranda, Major Crimes, The Goldbergs, Get Out, Big Mouth, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, The Umbrella Academy, and many more. Gail O'Grady as Laura Walton. She also appeared in China Beach, Nobody's Perfect, Matlock, Murder She Wrote, Burke's Law, Trial by Fire, NYPD Blue, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, Annie McBeal, American Dreams, Hot Properties, Two and a Half Men, Hidden Palms, Monk, Boston Legal, Desperate Housewives, Hellcat, Revenge, Criminal Minds, and many more. Crystal Carson, which is a cool name, is Ingrid, a renowned acting coach. Her roles include Who's That Girl, 30-something, Simon and Simon, Dallas, Alien Nation, Cartel, Charles in Charge, Midnight Caller, Ellen, Misery Loves Company, General Hospital, Jag, and many more. Alan Costs as Alan, Webster Williams as Miles, the chauffeur. This is his last episode, and Philip Pillman is uncredited as Phil. I really enjoyed listening to the, the variety of things that Bill Medley had written for. Yes. From absolute classics like Top Gun yeah. to Rambo 3 and <laughs> something called, was it Missing Crimes or something like that? Major major Crimes. Major Crimes. Procedural drama, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully about someone with the name Major Crimes. Yeah, uh, yeah surname Crimes. Yeah, I did that. I did that in a group chat once when I made a pun because I do. And Troy, one of our other, other hosts, said, "Captain Centerville wants the words with you." So I, I rightfully pointed out, "That's fine." I report to Major Whimsy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he had, was fed up of my nonsense. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Cliff, hello. These are all greasy, Cliff. Disgusting. Leave. <sighs> Still got burger juice on his hands. Yeah. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. So you go first as you've got the major amount, um, but don't say any of the ones that I've got. A Righteous Brothers song famously featured in the highest grossing movie of 1990. The, the year that this episode was released. What was the movie and what was the song? Now, I think, because this is, I loved this film as a kid, and I think it was partly influenced by my mum's, if I'm wrong, this story is going to be completely wasted, but my mum's adoration of Kevin Costner. So I think it's The Bodyguard. Well, it feels a bit early, though. Or was it Ghost? Oh. The year was 1990. That feels early for Ghost as well. But I'm going to go with Ghost. And the song? Something about pottery. <laughs> well, you know the scene, don't you? I know the, the scene, yes, yeah. which has uh, been parodied it, a million times. It, it is Ghost, yep, highest grossing movie of 1990, the song Unchained Melody. That's the one. My love, my darling, I hunger for your touch, that one. Long and long. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've done our song for today. Let's, uh, let's leave that there. The, what's the one from um, The Bodyguard then? It's Whitney, isn't it? It is, but it's still a it's a, a rehash from an older song. Um, I will always love you. Is Whitney's one in the Bodyguard? Yeah, so it's obviously not a, a rehash of a Righteous Brothers. Yeah, 
Oh, my little brain, James, my little brain. A very nice, nice fact. And you, you drew me to uh, a very lovely scene. Um, uh, although I think the the pottery outcome of that scene uh, is not as impressive. Oh, she would not have passed the pottery class, would she? No, no. In fact, so actually, that puts a dark light on on that whole film. Really, there is a, a little argument going on at the bar mm-hmm. um, at one point with Cliff Norm. Seldom seen chap, <laughs> Fraser jumps into asking them what they're arguing about. Uh, and they're trying to deduce, well, firstly, what are they trying uh, to deduce, James? Was that a pun? Uh, <laughs> uh, not deliberate. So f- my question for you, James, is what are they trying to deduce and what are the four answers they give in response to that question? Uh, uh, best car song. Yes. Yes. One of them being Little Deuce Coop. That's a Beach Brothers, isn't it? Uh, Beach Brothers? That sounds wrong. Beach Boys. <laughs> little Deuce Coop, 409, Little Cobra, and Fraser's suggestion was GTO. Which I don't know, GTO. GTO. All of these songs are on our playlist. Ah. Uh, Play It Again, Sam, the definitive Cheers playlist, now available on Spotify. In that case, I shall check them out, James. Thank you. So all right. How many home runs did Yaz officially hit in his career? If you get this right, good job, because I don't think it's said in the episode. But Robin <laughs> does ask Sam. And Sam gives, doesn't Sam give some sort of pun back as an answer rather than the figure? Yeah. I'll give you a clue. If you get within 10 either way, I'll give you, give you the point. It's in the hundreds. Okay. So how many home runs did Yaz officially hit in his career? 247. No. 452. Oh, it's better than I gave him credit for. Yep. Well done, Yaz. Who wins the sweepstake for the date that Rebecca would have done the deed with Robin? Uh, Lilith, but she was way off. Yes, so Fraser claims the money and uh, it doesn't seem like he intends to give it to her. No, he does not. Who does Sam cancel a birthday, her birthday, date with, and then immediately reschedule. Only to cancel again, moments later. Um, It begins with M. Is it Michelle? Yes, it is Michelle. Oh, jackpot. And Michelle asks Woody out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is, I mean, that's that's quite a brave move, just from the voice. Oh, hello, Michelle. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to tell you that Sam still can't make it. (laughs) Me? Oh, I'm about uh, six feet, blonde hair, early 20s. A little party? Sure, I love birthday cake. Is it okay if I bring my girlfriend? <laughs> Hello? Funny, funny guy. <laughs> what did Robin and Rebecca have as an aphrodisiac? It's a, maybe a stretch of a word. What was this meal which acted as a, as a aphrodisiac for them or a post-coital treat? I don't know the order of events. Well, I know they went to Wally's Puppen's, what's it called? Yeah, Poppenburger. Poppenburger. So I'm going to guess it's something from that establishment, but I don't know. Having read it, it sounds more like a post-coital treat because it's Carb City, USA. Uh, it's a double bacon chili burger. Oh my goodness. I, I'm, I've got nightmares just thinking about eating that in the bedroom. Just some mess. Mm. Yeah. So there you go. That's that's what they had. 
And it sounds like a good house special. It does. Uh, what are we going to accompany it with? And <laughs> That's, Barry, you've got a family. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, so well, having bought this burger each, we've still got uh, about $980 left to spend. So what are we going to have for a drink, James? Oh, that's a good question. We could just have a, a, a pint of Stella and be done with it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Keep the money. I don't know, maybe to drink maybe something tense because it's a two-parter. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm pretty sure, James, that there's a cocktail called a cliffhanger that we could uh, sup along with our burgers. Yes. Yes, then. We'll have that. Lovely. This was a good first part. We're on the edge of our seat. Got our burgers in hand. Mouth agape. Tune in next week. 